Bootstrapping your business can sometimes feel lonely. Welcome to the Bootstrapped European Entrepreneur Podcast, where you can hear the stories of your peers, as well as the strategies and tactics that have helped them grow their businesses. Your host, Uroj, co-founded a company as a student and led it through the trials and tribulations of bootstrapping to the IPO on the stock exchange. Hi, our guest today is Krishimir Koncic, founder and CEO of Neuralab, a Croatian design and development agency with special focus on e-commerce projects. In this episode, we discuss how and why they position themselves as experts in WordPress and WooCommerce, how this impacts who they are hiring, how they package and sell their services, and Web3, blockchain, and related technologies. I hope you will enjoy this episode. Hi, Krešimir. Thank you for joining us here today. Hello, hello, Urosh. Uh, nice to be here. Uh, let's say I looked at your your company's website before, let's say, start of this meeting. And if you go to portfolio or clients and so on, there are big, impressive brands, let's say, so that are globally known. But how did your story start? Because probably they were not the first clients. Yeah, of course. We started with like unknown clients, which is like a typical thing for a service-based business. But yeah, we... So we basically started uh, around two, uh, 2007 while we were at the, at the college, like doing um, experiments with neural networks and AI modules around uh, stock price uh, prediction. Ah, this explains the name of the company. Yeah. So yeah. So this is the root of the name of uh, Neuralab because we worked a lot on on MATLAB and uh, neural networks, and we we tried to build basically like a fintech product. Uh, with the aim of managing uh, stock prices and trading, daily trading and uh, stuff like that. So it was, it, it was, it was basically like a, like a fintech product, but it was more of an, uh, an experiment. So when we started doing that, we, we kind of saw that these types of products are mostly reserved for larger teams, uh, Western teams, uh, teams that are basically in London or New York that have like 50 uh, en- engineers working on backend code and uh, AI algorithms, and we couldn't uh, compete with that. In parallel with that, we also saw like the uh, limitations of, of AI, that uh, they tend to overpromise something. So these algorithms uh, basically can't be used to what we wanted, you know. So, and this is current also now, like in, in the current uh, situation, you also have like a lot of over uh, over promises of AI. So this is what we saw back in 2007. We, we experimented with this kind of product building for uh, I think uh, half a year. And in parallel with that, we, we also built uh, web applications. So because we, we are. We were uh, interested in in code, in the web design, in the in UX, and um, you can remember that that back then the the industry was pretty fresh. You know, it was yeah. pretty new. There was a lot of opportunities. Yeah, it, it, a lot of uh, a lot of learning grounds, a lot of um, experimentation playgrounds, a lot of uh, without any rules, without any uh, regulations. There were no. Uh, no known patterns of of building web application products. There were no known patterns of of how to build a team of or or, or how to structure a team. So we basically went uh, into it like uh, head first, and we 
we knew how to code, we knew how to uh, how to design uh, products and uh, and all sorts of applications, but we didn't know anything about like business and and team management and uh, cash flow management and uh, stuff like that. So we so we learned along the way, you know. So we we started to get more and more clients, and then we we saw like the need to to educate ourselves around around business, around marketing, around sales, uh, around uh, positioning. And the positioning basically led us to come to conclusion that that we need to work on complex web projects and with larger clients. So this was our like po- positioning wise, uh, we uh, we started to to see that to to have like a fruitful team and large scale projects, we needed to work with clients that have like need for complex applications with a lot of budget, both time and and uh, money. What actually got your Thinking about positioning because we, I was in similar position at the time. Let's say we also started in uni- at university, doing all sort of projects, but we went through the let's say process part. Let's say so we are working on a process and song, and I was oblivious of marketing and positioning. So uh, why did you let's say identify this as soon as you did? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say this is a this is a layered question because you you uh, so when you're working with software development. I mean, basically building any type of digital product, you have multiple layers. So the first layer is a technology stack. Uh, so we are basically negative thing is that we worked on all sorts of tech, like .NET, PHP, Swift, uh, Android, all sorts of ecosystems, all sorts of uh, CMS. Developing your own CMSs or something like that or frameworks. Uh, so we so we tried out everything, like yeah. every every possible CMS and every possible tech. This has like a major negative downside, or like major downside is that you are losing time on on some tech that is not in high quality. It's not proven, but on the upside, you get like uh, a lot of experience with various uh, software f- philosophies about uh, how to construct products. Because when you're working with iOS. And Android or or web, it's it's totally different product building mindset when you're working with these sorts of technologies. So so this was a good experience from the tech side, but but lousy experience from the business side. So we wanted to position ourselves in the open web world because we saw that like open source projects and web projects that that you can build basically to be interacted in in any kind of browser and any kind of device was a, was a way to go. And this was a proper conclusion, and this was a wise. Uh, I mean, now in hindsight, I'm looking at this. This was a good decision to position ourselves in this like open web market because this is where the future is now. I mean, the present and the uh, and both the future. The second layer is a business layer. We saw that we cannot target uh, all sorts of clients and all sorts of verticals and all sorts of uh, types of of projects from the from the business side. Because uh, when you have a team of, of, I would say, around like minimum five people, uh, five people in web world can achieve great applications, you know. So they, they can build really, really, really great applications. So, so for instance, if you have two designers and two developers, those types of teams can build applications that need like 4,000 4, hours, like, like platforms or uh, stuff like that. So you cannot use these kinds of, of teams in, into building small applications because uh, in A, uh, they would get bored uh, really, really fast. It's not like good use of their knowledge. 
it's not good use of their like uh, team uh, team knowledge and it's not good use of of client time so uh, this is the reason why we also want to uh, position ourselves in building uh, complex projects the third layer is that with complex projects we can uh, we can have like a proper cash flow management and proper uh, business business planning management so when we work on larger projects we can basically future plan or all of our cash flow intakes uh, future invoices and future estimates and then we can uh, we can plan for growth we can plan for uh, education we can plan for hiring new people and these three layers these three questions and answers basically led us into into our our positioning which is basically current okay really interesting question because again i'm comparing a little bit from our path uh, we were never good at, uh, let's say, large projects because we didn't know how to manage them correctly. So I do assume that you were also quite good at project management and, let's say, time tracking. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, project management is a really big question and a really big problem in the current web uh, industry. First, there's this thing about what project managers ac- actually do. Are they more like like a business analyst or team office management part, or are they are actively involved in product development? Uh, so basically, you want to merge a couple of uh, tra- traditional roles from tra- from traditional marketing agencies, and these are business analyst, uh, traffic manager, project manager, product manager, account manager. I mean, you can have this this separate, of course, and larger agencies are are doing that. Uh, but in agencies around uh, 20 people or 30 people or 50 people, uh, I would say that these roles are car- kind of uh, in- intertwined uh, inside one person, which is basically not not a problem. It's more of like a business uh, business agreement and business challenge. But what is a problem is uh, what this person person actually do that is of value. So this is the biggest thing uh, about project management. This is something that that I also bashed my hand. Uh, had um, around for a very long time because you need to take into account that both designers and developers have a lot to say about software development projects. So when you're first working with web application, a couple of first phases are basically ideating, wireframing, uh, discovery phases. Designers are basically the ones that are that are having a, a lot of voice uh, inside this this kind of processes and this kind of phases. Because they know uh, ins and outs of, of uh, user experience, user interaction, customer experience, accessibility, uh, content architecture. So they know uh, ins and outs about this, this kind of phases of uh, web, web application. Then after you have like done the whole wireframing and discovery and I would say like web design phase, then developers uh, kick in and they their main goal is to implement design into into a digital product and make everything work um, uh, i mean i am just uh, g- generalizing for the audience but but mostly developers have a lot of items uh, on their plate both back end development front end development also accessibility devops networking uh, hosting infrastructure everything so basically they have a say in the later parts of the of the project. So w- where does project management uh, come into play? You don't want to have like typical office management type of project management where where, where, where project manager is only bumping people around and, and asking, uh, are they done? You really want to have like a project management or product management person, as we like to say it, like heavily involved 
in all sorts of aspects of web application building process. So the goal of the team is basically to have like a fruitful business conversation with project or, or product management. So, so product manager can have uh, a lot of say about analytics, about market. What is the uh, end user game? What is the end user goals? What are the clients' uh, clients' real needs? Not not clients' wishes, but clients' real needs about this web, web application. So project manager and product manager can can be a mediator for these kinds of uh, conversation. What about uh, business? Uh, let's say goals of a project manager do you let's say put uh, also a business goal in hands of a project manager of course but this part is is i would say easier i mean it's it's an easier thing to agree on a contract on monthly invoices or recurring invoices retainer part like to handle these kinds of business things uh, i would say it's uh, it's an easier thing it's it's more of a it's it's more of a administrators and and office management thing but I would say that, that the biggest challenge is basically handling business goals of web applications, like how to handle um, user experience optimal path and what is this optimal path leading to some kind of uh, conversion. Uh, product manager needs to be aware of that and to talk with this, both, both designers and, and clients and both, and both developers how to polish the best optimal path to, to make the visitor convert into some business goal. I, I would say this is this is the biggest challenge for every uh, product manager. Yeah, okay. I completely agree, but I'm interested, let's say, in this part that you said that it was easy, let's say, on a part, because I, mm-hmm. you probably solved something uh, that I didn't know how to solve in my whole lifetime as a CEO of a web agency, let's say, a development agency. Uh, let's say, why is it easy? Do, how do you structure the, let's say, the agreement with your clients so that you don't go, that you don't spend, spend so too many man hours on a project. So is there a, a secret here, let's say? Well, there are a couple of things and they are connected to uh, positioning, basically. Yeah. So first, you need to have like a good uh, position on, on the market. To send only offers and send only contracts and send only estimates to projects that, that that you can really like uh, kill in a in a positive way, you know, yeah. so that really uh, up your alley. So positioning is like the the cornerstone of good estimations, good contracts, good pricing, good client service uh, relationship. So uh, what we do is basically when when new clients contact us, we immediately offer a discovery phase. So we have we have three types of of discovery phases. Two are paid. So first is a limited discovery phase that lasts for around 10, 10 hours, and we we basically charge around thousand euros for for this kind of discovery. The goal of of this discovery is to write with the client detailed functional specs and limited wireframes. And have like proposed idea of the whole web application in one Google Docs. So the benefit of having this kind of discovery process is that clients tend to know our our team members. We have like a couple of workshops, and clients tend uh, tend to know uh, our process of work because we uh, in- introduce to them about how we work, how we how we structure projects, how we structure phases of work, uh, how we structure billing. 
and we 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 also tell them our our about our default contract. So this is all done inside this uh, discovery phase. The client is is paying for this. So because they are paying for this, they are also paying their uh, attention. So <laughs> this is like uh, the biggest thing. The second type of discovery is basically like a larger larger discovery around the 40 uh, hours of work, which is basically the whole week, which we spent with with our client, which is basically the, the same thing as limited discovery, but with, with, with more outputs, you know, with uh, more detailed estimations, detailed contracts, detailed wireframing, basically everything that, that you need to have to, to, pre- to prepare for the whole project. Again, because client is, is paying for this, they are looking at every detail and uh, this is good. We can also do like a third type of uh, discovery, which is basically like a free discovery, which we are doing in, in, in our time. And this is our business, uh, this, the, the decision if we want to go in, into it, because we are basically spending our time and we are investing uh, our time with this uh, future client. And this decision, if we want to go into free discovery or not, is basically decided on client by by client basis. So, if the project is interesting, if we have like new types of interaction, if this is something that that we haven't already done, if if the client is interesting, if if the vertical is interesting, then we will venture into this type of free discovery. And basically, throughout this discovery, you are educating. Your, your future client about your contract estimates, functional specs, everything. Okay, really smart. So I would say that, that both positioning and offering discovery is a way to go to prepare for all future questions about your, your contracts and project phases. So you're still, let's say, following a kind of waterfall model because it's easier for clients, let's say, to buy a project. Uh, I know of some agencies that, let's say, tried to sell agile, uh, let's say, approach, and let's say you hire a team and then we decide each month what we will do. Uh, but it's quite a hard sell, let's say, to maybe more conservative uh, companies. Uh, this is a good question. It's a pretty simple answer. You cannot sell agile approaches to, to, to new clients yeah. because you don't know them and they don't know you and the whole trust layer is not, is not established. So uh, clients will not understand the agile approaches, whether it's Kanban or, or Scrum or extreme development, wherever, whatever your, your own process is, expecting an enterprise client to understand the nuts and bolts of, of Scrum or Kanban and how to invoice this, is, it's a really big, big problem. We have tried uh, several times to, to offer these kinds of uh, estimates and, and types of uh, projects, but we have failed like uh, miserably. So for new clients, we tend to offer like simple waterfall approach. Like first we'll, we will have discovery, then then we will have like detailed wireframing, then design, and then and then development. And this works. The the other thing is that I don't I don't think there there is really a large need for for agile approaches like like default agile approaches when building version one of a web application. Because I mean you can you can easily make uh, specifications about um, e-commerce goals and uh, proceed with the projects. Internally, we do work throughout Kanban system. So so when we sell to our clients, we present this as a waterfall because basically it is a waterfall approach. You have like a starting starting point, which is basically we don't have any code and you have like the end point. We we have like a lot of code and we are 
done with 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 set of functions. This is basically a waterfall. But uh, but internally, we are producing applications throughout Kanban approach. So we have we are strong believers in in Kanban approach, which, which is basically cherry picking tasks and having a focus on three to four tasks in the same time. And we have produced web applications through Kanban approach for for over 14 years now. Yeah, this is also my experience. Let's say uh, Agile works really nicely with product, uh, let's say, development. It's like one-to-one fit, especially because yeah. you then actually hit targets <laughs> because otherwise in product development, usually the waterfall, it's... Uh, it's a problematic while selling to clients, let's say, uh, Agile. I had a similar experience, let's say. We felt miserably to sell to a new client. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can, I can answer you this like a, like a, a second part. We can propose and we are selling to our existing clients uh, Agile, uh, Agile approaches, uh, but which is basically Kanban approach for project uh, evolution. So when the project is is done and when it's live and uh, we basically maintain all of our uh, built uh, web applications in these kinds of uh, scenarios we we tend to offer kanban approach which is uh, time materials basically uh, kanban approach uh, to our clients when evolving uh, applications yeah. it simplifies also the collaboration because there's less offers going around and so on yeah, it's basically they have the resources they can count on and so on Let's explore a little bit deeper the positioning that you mentioned. Let's say, so now you mentioned positioning several times as working in your favor. Uh, so what did you did to achieve this favorable position in the future client's uh, mind? Well, first of all, all of our external communication, like, like outbound communication, is, is basically revolving around complex projects, big projects, uh, complex interactions, uh, larger clients. So when we write case studies, when, when we write blog posts, we tend to write about complex and complicated issues about our, our industry and what problems we have solved. So all of our outbound communication, whether it's through social media platforms or, or columns or uh, opinionated blog posts or like um, PR articles on external media, which are basically the main story point is that we are working on, on big, big projects and big clients. We, we are also partnering with technology partners like uh, MailChimp, uh, WooCommerce, WordPress, uh, Automatic, uh, WordPress VIP, and for instance, WordPress VIP as a hosting platform or, or a DevOps platform is basically all, already positioned inside the enterprise market. Yeah. So whenever we, we, we talk with those teams and they are one of the biggest like lead gen channels, uh, we always talk that, that we are working with, uh, with bigger clients, bigger, bigger projects, and that our team is specifically focused on, on these kinds of uh, interactions. So these kind of certifications have like double effect. Let's say it positions you really well, and it's also lead gen. Uh, yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. And this 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 also opens up a lot of uh, opportunities. Uh, for instance, we are we are the sole organizers of uh, WooCommerce meetups uh, here uh, in the region. I believe we are the only organizer of uh, WooCommerce meetups in in, in the whole region. Uh, we will also the co-organizers of uh, WordPress meetups and uh, WordPress conferences. So um, throughout that, we also like tend to uh, talk with with a lot of developers and a lot of clients and tell our story. 
uh, about what we do. So this is also like uh, one of the biggest parts of our promotion and our uh, marketing mix. That was also probably, let's say, employer branding. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so let's say, how large are you now as a team? So we are now dancing between 28 and 30 people, uh, something like that. So we are now currently uh, on onboarding three new developers and three new product managers, and uh, so so we are growing uh, constantly. But we basically want to keep our focus uh, mostly on on mid and senior colleagues. So we 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 tend not to hire uh, juniors. Our our like junior to senior uh, ratio uh, in our company is basically I would say ten percent. So we have like two or three juniors maybe uh, in our in our team, and we are now constantly constantly educating, uh, educating people, educating clients, uh, educating our new team members. So this is our current uh, current focus and our current goal. Why this focus on let's say hiring seniors over juniors? Yeah, uh, it is it 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 is harder. Uh, but the thing is, this is also connected to our uh, to our positioning because we, as we work on on uh, complex uh, in- integrations, I will so I will say I will tell you one uh, typical ex- uh, our typical example. Most of our e-commerce built uh, applications uh, need to work with with a lot of other IT systems like CRMs, ERPs, uh, mobile applications, a lot of APIs. And you need like uh, like uh, experienced developers working on this. Uh, also, all of our uh, built uh, so we are basically building custom custom user uh, user experiences with uh, with our clients, and uh, working with juniors is is a good thing because they bring fresh energy and fresh knowledge, but these processes tend to get like overly complicated. And uh, we cannot have like uh, working uh, juniors in these kinds of uh, com- complex interactions. We have seen that these are not like really good learning experiences. If we were to have like smaller projects, if we were to have like uh, typical projects, if we were to have some kind of like basic projects that that tend to be like uh, default e-commerce application, then these would be like a good training ground for juniors. But we don't have these kinds of projects. Because our minimum projects is, I would say, is uh, fifteen thousand euros, um, uh, and uh, so these are minimum minimum projects. And these kinds of projects have like complex interactions and complex web parts and uh, complex uh, talking with with a lot of APIs. Uh, so. These are not good training grounds for juniors because they are they are overly complex, and juniors then uh, need to wait for their mentors to to answer them questions. They they need to wait for uh, PMs to answer their questions, and then this basically is just uh, like a avalanche avalanche of unanswered questions and waiting time and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of blockages inside of the projects. Okay, but uh, does this limit your growth? potential in any way because there's not a lot of seniors on the market let's say well i have to be honest and say yes it's it's not something that that uh, uh, that is a good thing uh, it's uh, like hiring seniors is is an extra challenge uh, now in in hr it 
Uh, hiring juniors for us would be pretty easy because we have like a lot of uh, a lot of asks uh, about uh, about people that that are coming out of the college, and people that that want to have like uh, internships uh, in the Netherlands. We we have a lot of asks uh, about this, and this would not be a big problem for us. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 limiting our growth in in headcount. But we were never focused on on in- increasing our our headcount. By any means necessary, so we are we are pretty conservative about our headcount and about who will work inside inside Neuralab. Why so? Because let's say you have uh, let's say also already in uh, Croatia you have a, f- a few agencies that grew really big, also went to let's say global. Some of them were sold, acquired, and so on. So why so? Why don't you compete on this? What what's Well, you need to take into account two things. First of all, agencies can grow uh, technologically. Yeah. So we don't want to grow uh, technologically uh, in a way that uh, we we don't want to build native iPhone apps, native Android apps. Uh, we we don't want to produce uh, digital marketing uh, ca- campaigns. Uh, so. We don't want to grow horizontally in in te- te- technological terms, and in that way, uh, we as a, we as a basically open source web team, we are one of the biggest agencies here. So, uh, if, if if you take into account that we are the only WordPress VIP agency and the only WooCommerce based a- um, WooCommerce agency here inside the region, and that our headcount is around 30, we are one of the biggest WordPress teams. Uh, here, uh, we don't want to market uh, ourselves as a WordPress team because we are we are basically focused on building web applications. Our end game is that clients don't want to choose the CMSs. This is something that is not uh, for for clients to choose. But but if you look like in, inside like regionally regional agencies, we are, I believe, one of the largest uh, uh, PHP teams. To be uh, to be perfectly uh, perfectly honest, uh, other agencies uh, tend to have like other other teams like digital marketing, iPhone, Android, um, uh, Facebook campaigns, AdWords campaigns, and they can grow grow uh, horizontally to hundreds of people, two hundreds, three uh, hundreds, and this is totally fine. This is not our business goal uh, because we we want to be like uh, elite squad. For open web, open source, uh, LAMP stack like PHP stack. So we want to be the elite squad for this kind of web uh, web application. So you basically chose technical excellence over, let's yes. say, revenue growth over over headcount. So because it's it's a more r- robust business. It's it's a more uh, it's it's a more Uh, fruitful business. It's a more. You like it more. Uh, I, I would say. I think it's a good business practice to to drive towards excellence. You know, because if if we were to if Neuralab uh, was to, was was to venture into into I would say like building iPhone applications, Android applications, and digital marketing, which is like a special red ocean, uh, we would have like like for uh, first things first, we, we would have a lot of competition yeah. uh, here. Which we currently don't have a lot in inside of complex uh, WordPress applications. We have two, three, or four agencies inside our region which are uh, competing with us. Which which is okay, but 
not a lot. If we were to venture into, into digital marketing, we, we would basically have hundreds of hundreds of agencies that were also uh, eating our cake. So I, I don't believe this is a good practice. The second thing that, that I want to talk about is basically headcount uh, and increasing headcount with, with juniors, uh, which I would say, honestly, is, is, is a prudent business practice if you are talking about digital marketing or, or building lower-end applications. So junior developers can build lower-end applications. They, they can build uh somewhat uh, interactive digital c- campaigns and i would say that that hiring a lot of juniors is uh, is a normal normal way to go but again this is not our business case this is not our business goal this is not our 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 plan and our mission uh, because we don't want to be um we don't want to be like like a typical agency uh we we, we don't want to be um, like uh, typical agencies that are just selling uh, digital marketing to their clients, and then having like a default uh, default quality of uh, AdWords uh, campaigns or Facebook campaigns. Uh, I don't think this is uh, this is a wise, and I also don't think this is a longer road to uh, to look at uh, uh, business things. Yeah. But we are actively looking at uh, possible partnerships, like uh, in in a half uh, in a half a year or one year, there is a chance that that will probably buy a smaller ratio of of some other agencies that are doing specific things about digital marketing, or uh, some uh, we are now looking actively about some agencies that are smaller agency and that uh, we can basically. Um, have a share, like a business share of, of, of their business if they're doing uh, complementary stuff. You know, if, if they're building native mobile applications, then we would probably look at, at uh, owning, uh, owning a piece of this business. So this is something that, that, that we are actively uh, seeking. So that you can, let's say, use your lead flow as uh, leverage in uh, business making and so on. Yeah, this, this also applies to, to product. We have internally two uh, products and yeah. uh, we are now actively seeking uh, about being an uh, investor into product, uh, product companies. Yeah, I really respect this uh, let's say strategy of uh, specialization. One of my previous guests uh, told me a sentence, let's say, go inch wide and mile deep, uh, mm-hmm. let's say, as a strategy. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and it's something that uh, in our region, because our countries are quite small, let's say, uh, as a population, we see too little of. Uh, because uh, we, a lot of companies do everything and then they like this uh, specialization and they don't develop enough margin because of that, because they do a, a little bit of everything uh, and the quality doesn't go up. Of course, of course. Uh, and the, hence the margins are continuously low and so on. While if you go... So this is a typical business thing, yeah. yeah if you go and specialize and then partner with other people and let's say don't do not accept business that is on a table for you because it doesn't fit in your to your strategy long term this is much better stuff let's say each time that we said no we don't do that our margins went up so this is uh yeah but we need to also talk about our industry in general because when we started back in 2007 2008 
the industry was basically uh, non-existent. You know, we we were just kids uh, playing with with a lot of possible tech, and then we will we were working on on all types of projects and all. Sorts and we were paid for that. Yeah. But now, now is a different time, you know. I mean, the whole worldwide web is now 30 year, years old. Neuralab is doing business for 15 years. It's not the same, it's not the same landscape uh, as it was before. So specialization is, is now possible and needed. And, uh, and the same thing happened with all other uh, uh, industries, like uh, civil construction, car industry, like pharma, like banking, or all other industries went into the same kind of uh, process. Like first you have like overall people that are basically working on overall things, and then you have like uh, specializations. So uh, I am also observing this as an industry shift. And we will probably see a lot of agencies uh, going into these kinds of uh, specialization. So there, uh, I don't believe there will be uh, in the long term agencies that have 15 people or, or 20 people that are doing all sorts of digital projects. I don't believe this will, will be possible. The, the second part of this is uh, about our industry growth is, is, is the no-code movement. You know, you have like uh, a, lot of, a lot of platforms and a lot of tools currently are really great, you know. So, for instance, now you can seamlessly connect uh, WooCommerce with, with MailChimp and you will have like pretty powerful automation and pretty powerful marketing segmentation about your customer segments which were basically tools, tools that, that were not available uh, a couple of years ago. You needed like a heavy, heavy development with uh, API uh, uh, integrations on how to connect MailChimp and, and, and your e-commerce applications to have these sorts of uh, marketing aut automation now. And tools, tools in 2022 are now like, like a snap of a finger. So this is also uh, ob observant. Can we discuss a little bit, let's say, Web3? Uh, of course. Because in a way, it's now it's a similar to, let's say, to when you were starting. Let's say it's in similar phase, except maybe 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 man, one major difference, let's say, at the time when internet, let's say, and web, especially as a killer app for internet, was starting, we had a benefit of not being too visible, let's say. it's It was, let's say, a next big thing, but there was not a hype of a lot of money being made in this first phase, let's say, which is now different in Web3, let's say, because uh, Bitcoin being one of the first major implementations for blockchain and so on. Yeah. So, let's say, with this longer intro, where do you think that, uh, let's say, different parts of Web3 are on the hype cycle, let's say, uh, are are we talking about uh, this peak of uh, inflated expectations, or are we over that uh, with some, some of the stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, well, you are both right and, and wrong. The thing is that crypto, like uh, blockchains, like uh, technology and uh, cr uh, cryptocurrencies, basically started to to exist in uh, in the eighties. You know, people uh, people don't don't know that it, it, there were basically like um, academia ec experiments, um, like building distributed databases, uh, sharding with with the databases uh, cryptocurrencies that are distributed around nodes. 
So these concepts and these kinds of uh, software developments uh, around these kinds of, of, of concepts basically began in early 80s. And fast forward uh, 20 years to 2008 and 2009, when, when Bitcoin first, uh, first emerged, Bitcoin was basically built on top of technology that uh, existed throughout uh, 90s. So people, uh, people don't, don't know that. Uh, so for instance, you have like the Bitcoin's uh, uh, proof of work uh, algorithm that, that is used for mining Bitcoins was based on algorithm called Hashcash, which is from uh, 1997. So you have like 20 years of, of, of slipping uh, uh, under the radar of, of like constantly building new tech, which basically reflected on Bitcoin's uh, launch in 2009. But even, even after that, uh, I mean, throughout 2009 and 10, uh, at the end of 2017, media was not covering uh, crypto a lot. Uh, and there were, there were basically no Web3 developers uh, throughout these years. Because first of all, Bitcoin is not uh, programmable, so you cannot make any, any meaningful developments on top of it. The whole Web3 basically started with, with uh, Ethereum, which was on 2014, 2015, I believe, something like that, which is seven years, you know. So I, I would say that first, first five years of, of uh, Ethereum was basically the building grounds of Web3, but also that was pretty mildly covered uh, throughout media because media, were, uh, media folks were, were only interested when prices went up Maybe when there was the uh, there was the ICO bubble, you know, in yeah. in in 2017, because a lot of scams happened there, uh, also on the the uh, domestic market. Also, then the the media started to pick up what is what is crypto, what is Ethereum, what is ICO, and what are what are what what are scams around it. So I would say that was around 20 25 years the whole tech. Around blockchains and, and crypto flew under uh, under uh, under the radar, um, but then the, I believe after the, the era after the ICO and after the people saw that you can program a lot of uh, distributed applications on top of uh, Ethereum, then uh, new developers started to come into the cycle, new business people started to come into the cycle. And uh, you also have this whole thing of uh, tokenomics, you know, like issuing tokens and issuing airdrops, the whole part of uh, venture capital flowing into the space. You have this movement of having both, both developers and both money people, uh, so to say, like waterproofing all of this like landscape with a lot of money. The whole background uh, behind this is that uh, throughout 2020, 2021 and this year, uh, you have this concept of uh, of having a lot of money free on the market. Yeah. So stocks were rising, crypto was 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 rising, uh, venture uh, venture capital was was heavily uh, in investing into startups. So if you if you take one 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 startup, and for instance, if you if you say that it's it's worth uh, five hundred million million dollars in 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 one year, it will be probably worth one billion in the second year because just like the whole valuation schemes of of VC valuating things, including crypto, 
was pretty hectic because all of the all of the free money. So okay, but this works a little bit against, let's say, against the ability for the good project to float on top quicker. Let's of say, course, this is a, a bigger problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is the bigger. I mean. Uh, this reflection of having a lot of money on the market, a lot of free money on the market, is basically uh, going into all of the high-profile media startups, and this causes to other startups not to have funding and not to have like proper uh, proper funding for their products. And this is like heavily exaggerated into crypto space because crypto space was so what 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 Web three and 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 crypto space accomplished is that they basically intertwined money into this tech stack, because you, because you you can have custom tokens and you can have airdrops and you can have any sorts of uh, tokenomics built on top of your web application. You can incentivize users through money uh, to to interact with your application, which is basically a blessing and and a problem. Uh, and this is the biggest difference be- between Web One, Web Two, and Web Three. In Web One, when when Neural basically started, you have you have a lot of developers building industry because they they loved it. They were enthusiastic. They were building uh, open source tools. They were building uh, a lot of frameworks, uh, a lot of tooling, a lot of like uh, I would say pipeline. For this whole industry to to uh, to flourish, you know, in in Web three you also have that. You also have a lot of developers that, that are loving the tech, that that are loving the industry, and this is totally fine and this is totally needed. But you also have a lot a lot of people that are in it only only for the money, which is like a big 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 problem. So, what do you think are the technologies that are the pipelines of the future in this space right now? So, what's uh... Where are where will the let's say the really useful applications of Web three came from? Well, uh, the the future will be definitely hybrid. You know, uh, the future will, will be definitely be heterogeneous. You know, it you, you will have a lot of different applications that that try to solve different business problems in a different way. Web three is only a set of blocks. Like like so, Web three is only a set of of, of building blocks that. That, that, that you can use to build your digital application in a way that you seem fit. Uh, I don't believe Web3 building blocks will, will, will totally replace building blocks from Web1 and Web2. You will, you will always have centralized servers. You will, you will always have centralized web applications and centralized databases. I believe they will merge with some building blocks from uh, Web3, like tokens or uh, nfts or smart contracts or uh, for for instance things that that are uh, that are people not currently talking about is uh, for instance money streaming you know so for instance in web3 you can pay someone through money stream so the the person for instance if if you want to sell sub- subscriptions currently which is which is like a cornerstone of of web2 products um, I have a, like a web platform, and I want to sell some courses, and I will sell my courses through sub- subscriptions. The, the the current flow is that I need to have like a contract with with Stripe or Braintree, and then Stripe and and Brain and Braintree and my users will will, will pay me every month some uh, fixed amount of money. In Web three, this is not needed because you 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 can, you can have a money stream. 
you, you can have a money stream uh, which when uh, I, as a course seller, I'm constantly receiving pennies every second, every minute, every hour, every day. So so this is a building block. The other building block are, are of course, uh, NFTs, DAOs, uh, any type of smart contract, any type of integration with EVM, uh, compatible blockchain, and uh, any type of crypto digital asset will be intertwined with, with my web application, and I believe th- this will be the uh, future. What's interesting that you're talking about technical possibilities, let's say. I had a similar conversation with a friend, I believe it was in 2016 or 17 or something like that, uh, when he explained me all the technical possibilities of the blockchain. I was really grateful to him because it was the first time I understood, let's say, the level of change that's probably coming. But the other stuff that he was not aware of, in my opinion, was that all of this technology basically has the possibility to change the social contracts in our society. And this is uh, like uphill, really hard battle. And also sometimes it's, let's say, a dangerous uh, proposition, let's say. So if we're talking about DAOs, let's say decentralization, you still have to have a trust in person, let's say, organizing DAO and all the contracts and so on. So... It's interesting that the first time, let's say, the technology is so connected to these social contracts, let's say, because now these intermediaries are there because we, sometimes in the past, decided that we probably need them to regulate a little bit some stuff. Now we have the possibility to regulate it with code and algorithm and so on. So it's there. there's a need for different kinds of social contracts to be made and developed. So... Yeah, I, I don't think it's uh, simple as that because we know from our past and from our uh, history lessons and from technology history lessons that technology alone cannot solve uh, people problems. So uh, you also have a lot of uh, history lessons from from web uh, alone. Uh, web is is basically decentralized uh, a lot, and you have like uh, centralized islands. Uh, built uh, on top of that, like you have, you have the whole centralized search and centralized social sitting on top of the centralized web. So, I am optimistic that Web three will enable some new, um, uh, some new management practices or some new types of uh, organizations uh, between people, especially in uh, NGO sector or non non non-profit sector or or anonymous sector but i'm totally pessimistic i mean i i'm more re- realistic about what uh, technology alone can do because in the end you always have people and people have uh, troubles people have problems people have uh, subjective ideas and uh, you cannot code your way out of these problems you know and Web3 has, has shown the, exactly that. You have a lot of, a lot of scams, uh, a, a lot of problems with, with DAOs. Some DAOs can't even properly buy one physical item, you know. So you, you have a lot of cases where, where code is not enough. So I, I would say that code is, a, is an uh, enabler, but it's not like a total doer. So we need to keep an eye on, on what is possible and what is not possible. But I would say that the, that the biggest problem with this like uh, uh, tech broism of, of our uh, crypto industry 
is that Web3 industry and our industry doesn't have enough of self, uh, self-criticism, you know. This is the biggest thing because you're you're now seeing a lot of new projects uh, being built and uh, a lot of new new tokens being launched, uh, airdrops being uh, like massive massive PR stunts about uh, airdrops and uh, Twitter feeds about airdrops, and uh, everybody is uh, overly optimistic. Everybody's saying uh, this is new tech. We don't want to deal with this like boomer tech, which is which is Web two, and uh, I believe this is totally wrong way of uh, way of uh, uh, seeing things and it it totally lacks self uh, criticism about what we are building and what we need to build uh, you can also observe that a lot of web3 pro- uh, projects and products are basically coming from tech bros from the silicon valley and they're only uh, they're a product of some kind of echo chamber, let's say. Exactly, exactly. So these are not products that most people will use, like yeah. uh, automated uh, trading machines, um, like um, um, airdrop platforms, like uh, automated market makers, something like that. So this is not something that most people uh, will use. It's kind of a good, good uh, building blocks and good kind of protocol type products. Which is which is totally fine, but I don't see any realistic use cases for the uh, for the typical uh, end user that that really wants to have like some sort of like return on investment. You know, like a lot of products like are overly complex, uh, overly uh, engineered, and we have a lot of work uh, around uh, around uh, user experience and user interactions about building the web three uh, and building the web three applications that are that that are for for the end user and for that to happen we need uh, we need to be more more critics about our industry and our, and about how we proceed uh with these building blocks and um some experts say that that uh, that a lot of money that that is that is flowing in our in our industry is is basically the the biggest hurdle because you don't want self-criticism and you you don't want to have like the like uh, overly overly critic devs when you have this like free free money coming in, uh, into the sphere so we would definitely need to tackle that and start to um, uh, start to talk about the real issues about uh, about web3 so let's say to end a little bit more on a positive note let's say what would your advice be to somebody starting right now how to use these building blocks of web3 to create a long-term success. Well, uh, I would say that the first first step is is to to find some problem that uh, uh, you want to solve with your product or with your service that some end user will also be able to solve. So don't go into building products uh, just uh, just because of the free money that is uh, uh, floating around the market or or for the karma or or for the like uh, PR points. Uh, this is not the, the real end game. The the real Endgame is, is is finding a problem that some end user has, and then resolving this problem with quality user experience, with quality accessibility, prudent backend, prudent front end, you know, uh, these sorts of things. And uh, of course, uh, educate yourself. Like uh, read books, read blog posts, read uh, magazines. Uh, educate yourself with uh, quality material. And the third uh, third advice would be to uh, find a mentor. Uh, having a mentor 
is something that we didn't have. So we wasted like a lot of days and a lot of months of running around the circle. So if a new startup founder can find a good mentor, I believe this is one of the best ways to to succeed in this industry. Krishimir, thank you for sharing your experiences uh, and your opinions on Web3 in the future. And I would like to thank to everybody who listened to us till the end. Uh, and I hope that we'll continue this conversation live sometimes over a coffee. Of course, Suresh. Of course, Suresh. It was a nice, uh, nice chat with you. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And do not forget to tell your friends about it. I would really appreciate if you tell me which entrepreneur would you like me to interview next. Just email me at podcast at bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. The episode show notes are available at www.bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. See you next week.